The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, the unofficial The Flash podcast, a poppychularadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, December 4th, 2019, and I'm your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the CW series, The Flash. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Central City. Brittany Garcia. Hey, everyone. And Jeffrey Aruz. Hey, Central City. Welcome back. Let's jump into our recap of Season 6, Episode 8, which was titled The Last Temptation of Barry Allen, Part 2, and aired on December 3, 2019. Here's the official synopsis. With the Flash under his control, Bloodwork attacks Central City, converts most of its citizens into his blood brothers and sisters. Sisko and Iris argue over how to save Barry and stop Rosso, but both of their plans fail. However, Rosso chooses not to convert them in favor of enacting the final phase of his plan, using the particle accelerators to spread his blood across all of Central City. As he makes his way inside, Sisko and Iris realize that during their last encounters, Barry used his connection to Rosso to save them and secretly tell them how to beat the villain. Using a combination of Rosso's blood, the particle accelerator, and Allegra's powers, Team Flash averts Rosso's plan and cures Central City of his influence. With his plan foiled, Rosso transforms into a skull-headed blood clot monster, that's absolutely as gross as it sounds, to kill the Flash and begin anew, only to be distracted by a hallucination of his mother long enough for the speedster to trap him in Runk's prison. Uh, with Rosso remanded to Argus's custody, Team Flash spends their last moments before crisis together just as the red skies loom over them. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 6, Episode 8. The episode was viewed by 1.33 million total viewers and had a 0.5 in the demo. Both were up from last week, which would suggest that hundreds of thousands of viewers watched Part 2 with no idea of what happened in Part 1. <laughs> what was everyone's initial reaction to the episode? Jeff, what was your initial reaction? Well, Professor, that's why they have a previously on. You know, those 30 Apparently, seconds... it is more necessary than I thought. Yes, those 30 seconds were enough to sort of really encompass everything that happened in the previous episode. But uh, it was good. It was a, it was a solid, stellar uh, mid-season finale. They did a really great job of uh, getting rid of uh, the big bad for what the showrunner is calling Graphic Novel 1. Uh, I thought the visual effect was gnarly. Uh, we can discuss that a little bit later on. And... Um, I thought everything was really good. If there was anything that I would have liked more is um, I wish that he would have um, maybe had a chat with the Speed Force to, I don't know what, like either offer an apology or offer an explanation or something. Uh, I think that was the only thing that was missing for me. But uh, outside of that, I, I thought it was a really good almost horror movie for for the most uh, for the majority part of the episode and we've discussed like the horror elements in previous episodes it, it was there it was like the walking dead on the flash in this episode uh Brittany, what was your initial reaction i thought it was a pretty 
good episode. I think I have some like qualms with uh with the way things were handled as far as like um things with Barry. I wasn't here for the previous episode, but um with the way things ended in this episode, but I think what I do appreciate the most about um the storyline wrapping up for now because we all know that when the flash, you know, they put the bad guy behind bars, they somehow break out. I'm just saying Argus is not very reliable these days. Um, I like how this whole first half was a lot of blood work and they built him up and he was just really, really great. And then they got him, they, they got him in this episode. I liked all of that. I liked that they wrapped it up. This is what can happen when you don't have a season long villain, when you have half of a villain for the first half and then another one for the second, I think it works much better. And I think they did it really well, at least in this first half. I can't talk about the next one, but this worked really well. Um, and of course the setup for crisis at the end, very emotional, very great, um, moments, but I have some qualms with that as well, but that'll just be on me. However, (laughs) however, good season finale with the blood work stuff. Um, not bad. Flash writers, not bad. And Millie, what was your initial reaction? I thought it was a solid effort for a mid-season finale. Um, I also have a, a, a little issues with how some of the storylines I feel played out, but I mean, it's no secret I have loved Bloodwork, and I think that they finished up his storyline um, perfectly, and the fact that there's an idea he might come back, so it's not done, but he didn't overstay his welcome, which I thought was good. Um, I, I think the one of my things is just the way they dealt with you know, Barry and his whole Dark Flash thing. Um, I felt like that kind of came out on the sizzle, uh, and then some of this crisis setup confused me in the sense of there wasn't much of a setup, but I guess that's they're probably saving that for next week on that. So overall, it was a nice little closing to this first like eight episodes. Uh, yeah, I'm largely in agreement with uh, with you guys. I thought it was a good episode. I do have some uh, some qualms and quibbles with it, uh, you know, uh, which uh, we'll get into when we get into a thorough discussion. But overall, uh, I did like the tone. And uh, and I thought it functioned really well as a continuation. You know, this was a part two, and it really did feel like a part two rather than uh, a completely new episode. So uh, I liked how it, it played directly out of the previous one. But before we get into our thorough recap of the latest episode of The Flash, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. 
So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. I was just saying, this was the second part of a two-parter. And uh, last week we talked about sort of the horror-tinged feel of the episode. Millie, how did you feel about the tone of this episode, and how do you think the two parts work together? I like the horror tone that they took um, in this episode. I think, and I don't watch too many horror films, so I don't know if this is more just... choice in the director but i love the scene that they had with cecile and camilla um it kind of looked like it was all in one take and i feel like that really helped bring that kind of horror suspense especially as they are um trying to run away from the blood zombies uh and i think that in terms of the two parts uh this might have been my issues i felt like the last week was really strong very emotional um really lots to on for barry and this one kind of felt a little more subdued overall and like the stakes and just kind of the everything like the, all the tensions running through it so i thought it was the weaker half of the two may i just say yeah, i'm still like sh- i'm shocked that camilla and cecile don't have breach devices to like get out of sticky yeah. situations that would have been a good idea in retrospect um uh but no getting back to what uh millie was saying i think um you know if you look at how they sort of split up the two episodes the first one was you know uh, all the uh, the heart and stuff, and this one was all the action. So I think it, it was kind of an, an interesting decision uh, to make this one a, a much more action-packed, whereas the uh, the previous one uh, was much more of, uh, of an emotional uh, journey for Barry. Uh, in fact, you know, until the end of the episode, we never saw Barry without his cowl and, you know, licorice in his teeth. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like we were seeing the uh, the full Gustin like we got last episode. Licorice. Um, but it turns out Star Labs does have some security after all, which surprises us after all these seasons, because Cisco engages the Babel Protocol, which seals the lab in a force field. Then he and Iris have a pretty serious disagreement on how to fight blood work. Iris wants to try to get through to Barry, refusing to give up on him, while Cisco wants to blast blood work and then Barry, uh, you know, with a, uh, a photon gun, uh, you know, and later makes the argument that, hey, even if it fails and we kill Barry, he's going to die tomorrow anyway. Uh, which was a little harsh. Uh, so they're at cross purposes, and they have a few scenes together. Uh, Brittany, how'd you like the Cisco Iris connection, and what did you think of their two arguments? Okay, I was on both of their sides. I understood where they were coming from. Like this is like the moments that I was talking about in like earlier um, episodes of the season. I knew that we were going to get some disagreements about how to handle or how ev- how different everyone was processing. Um, you know, the impending doom that is, you know, the flash on, in crisis and stuff. But the fact that this is happening right before it and Iris is like, this is not supposed to happen until a crisis. Like we need to, we still have these, we still have like three hours until crisis is coming. We need to save him now. And Cisco's more like, um, 
he's more uh, logical. You know, he's like, it, this is what Barry has been preparing us for. Like, we need to do this. We need to be prepared. Iris is more on the side of hope. But I like that both of them do their own thing and they both fail. And I really like that because, honestly, if Iris was going to do her talk no jutsu and it was going to work, I was actually going to riot. I was like, that doesn't make any sense at the beginning of this episode. Um, if anything, it has to be at least three talks throughout the episode. And then he can come to his senses and be okay. But I really do like that both of them failed. And then finally, when emotions weren't running high and they were actually grounded and talking to each other, communicating, they came up with a plan or they figured it out together. And I think that like that's the best way uh, for the team to survive without Barry. Because is this is let's be real. After Barry vanished, he's vanished before, and they've been able to survive. They can do this, but I understand why it feels so final right now and why everyone's arguing with each other, but I really like that they found a common ground and they were able to figure it out. Yeah, and I think sometimes they uh, they set up these conflicts between characters that feel a little artificial, like the words coming out of someone's mouth don't feel like they come out of the character's mouth. But if you look at Iris, Iris is, you know, the wife who believes in Barry uh, and, uh, you know, will do anything to get him back, uh, you know, and believing in the power of love. Cisco is the engineer who believes in, you know, uh, coming up with a device to solve the problem. So I think, you know, uh, they didn't really make this overt, but I think there is something to be said for both of them were coming at the problem uh, from their own character. And that's why I think that, you know, the, the, the dispute they had was so effective also because, you know, as you said, they both failed and, uh, and the script really, you know, the, you know, the, the writers didn't really come down on one side or the other. They, they were very even handed about that. Quite often when you have a conflict like this, one character is obviously doing the quote right thing. Uh, and the other character is obviously doing the quote wrong thing. In this case, you know, they both thought they were in the right. Uh, they were both doing things that could easily have worked in other circumstances, uh, yet they both failed. So I thought it was, you know, a, a, a clever uh, sort of setup of the idea that, you know, if Team Flash is going to be successful after Flash, they're going to have to find a way to work together better. And I think they, they sort of set that up well. Uh, but before we get to that point, uh, Iris insists on appealing to Barry and breaches their lot to talk with him. Um, you know, she has a good line to Cisco arguing that she and Barry are there in sickness and in health, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, we often talk about Candace Patton and Grant Gustin, how they play off each other. Jeff, you know, I, I love me some Candace Patton and Grant Gustin. Uh, this, uh, you know, interaction between the two was something new. We've really never seen, uh, you know, uh, uh Candace and, and Grant interacting in the way they interacted in this scene. Uh, what do you think about both their performances? I know, right? It was really, really good. I bought it. I bought Dark Flash, as uh, he was being called, and I, I bought, uh, I bought Iris being the wife. That's like, you know, I can reach out and and touch my husband, and he'll come back, and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I bought the hope that uh, Candace Patton was bringing to Iris uh, throughout those scenes. I, I also bought the fear, maybe realizing that, uh, you know, potentially her husband could be kind of, maybe not fully gone, but certainly under the influence of uh, the big bad. I thought Grant Gustin did a really good job with uh, really pantomiming, in a sense. I, I mean... You know he's he's not really talking. You know he's um, he's he's uh, he's being dubbed by uh, uh, Rosso, but he's got to convey everything that uh, that Rosso is bringing. And and outside of that, there were also other moments where you know it was um, 
it was uh, dialogueless, and uh, he just brought it with his actions, with the sneering and the snarling, and you know the look in his eyes and that sort of thing. I thought Grant handled it really, really well. I, I like that they gave him the chance to play the villain in a sense. I, I don't know if we will ever get sort of a, um, I don't know what they call him, like negative flash or uh, or um, whatever it is when the flash turns bad uh, outside of dark flash. I don't know if they're ever going to use that term again. But um, if they ever do make the flash evil again, whether it's for a much longer arc or something, uh, I, I, Grant can certainly handle the material. I, I thought he did a really good job with it. And seeing their dynamic now, you know, it's good versus evil versus two good guys on the same side was, um, it was, it was kind of spooky because uh, they both played it really well. And say what you will about, uh, you know, the, the black flash and his, uh, or the dark flash and his uh, terrible oral hygiene, at least it wasn't emo berry. So yes. let's be grateful for that. Although, yes, well, of course. But I will say, I always like to give a shout-out to the title card whenever they switch it up. They showed Oh, it yeah, at, that was gross. Yeah, I know. They showed it at the tail end of the previous episode. <laughs> yes. And then it was here at the, the start, uh, you know, the flash with, like, the black ooze all over the title. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Iris failed, uh, as we said, so Cisco tries his plan uh, and breaches into Blast Bloodwork. Uh, it seems to be hurting him, but Barry, of course, shows up and disarms him. Bloodwork threatens to kill Cisco, but then says he has a role to play in his big plan and says, I knew I picked the right guy, which interestingly mirrors something that Barry told Cisco about leading the team a few episodes back. Uh, Millie, had you figured out what was going on with Barry and Bloodwork by that point, or uh, did you need a few more clues? I needed a few more clues. I was a little slow on that uptake. Um, I was like, okay, that that it, it's it was a little off. I was like, okay, but I didn't really think about. it. I was trying to process the rest of the episode. Um, but then once they had this statement about the light, I guess that's when it hit me. Um, I feel like the slow kid in class. <laughs> uh, Barry and Bloodwork show up at Star Labs, uh, and Cisco and Iris decide to let them in, trusting that Barry is giving them the information they need to flight Bloodwork. Uh, they figure out they need to, need to use Allegra's powers to blast the blood with UV rays, which is a bit of a stretch. I mean, all they had Barry tell them was the phrase, let the light in. Yeah. Uh, and they figure out how to do that. And also, Barry couldn't have known Allegra was even there to do it, so where were they going to get the necessary UV light? Yeah. Um, but Allegra's a new character. She's been used kind of sparingly, uh, but it seems over the past couple of episodes, they're they're giving her a lot more to do. Uh, you know, she was uh, she was almost a meta of the week early on. Uh, then she was just sort of there as the intern. She had a pretty big turn, uh, you know, with uh, with Nash Wells. Uh, and uh, in this episode, uh, she seemed to be moving up, possibly, you know, to become a, a full time Team Flash member. Uh, Brittany, what do you think about Allegra in this episode and Allegra in general? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I really don't know what her character is supposed to like be about for the I don't know if she's like in the comics and she plays a big part or something or she's a, a an original character and we're bringing her on board I don't know why they keep making the team so big when we're not really going to be losing any more people that I can think of I mean aside from Flash we all know he gonna die right am I right guys am I right okay oh, obviously um, I mean they've been telling us that <laughs> for eight episodes now <laughs> Um, but for me, I still have a big question mark of why Allegra's there, aside from her big moment in this episode of, like, it, did, did she serve her purpose? Um, is she gonna just be 
Iris's like assistant like what I'm not really sure what they have planned for her and I don't know if I'm really invested um the Flash has this tendency to bring in characters sometimes that I just don't care about that they make as like um uh well I can't think of it or regular cast uh regular cast members and I'm just kind of like I don't know like I'm barely okay with like Dibney now like, they gave him development finally, and I'm kind of okay with him. But I still I, I still don't, like, if we lost him, I kind of wouldn't care still. Like, I just, you know, I'm still with my OG team. I think the only one that I've really warmed up to and I love a lot is Cecile. Um, and I'm glad that she's there and she's been awesome. But Allegra, I'm still kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, aside from the theories that maybe she might be be like another version of jesse quick i mean that's what that's what i've read i don't know if that's true um her powers are different so i don't know but um i'm glad she was useful in the episode that's well, all no, i have to well, say about I her i think she's they're including her because she's gonna be involved in that conspiracy that iris uh has been working on with the metahumans that the are being... Um, oh, okay. I forgot, I'm sorry, I forgot really... about that plot line. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Even though I love it. What do you call it? They're being captured by some sort Meta of... trafficking or something? It's some really... shadowy organization. It isn't trafficking. Into assassins. Yeah, they're turning them into assassins. That's what it is. Ah, uh, okay. So, because her sister's involved with that, so I, I'm, I'm assuming they're, you know, they're using the character so that there is a connection to that i do agree outside of that like i don't understand why like how they're like really totally embracing her like so fast like this feels like the fastest they've ever embraced an outsider with the team and unfortunately it it was probably because nash like had to spill the tea about like the team and and barry being the flash and that kind of thing so they're kind of in a sense forced to embrace her a little bit quicker uh, than usual, but um, I did find it very weird that she's just like in the middle of everything, and all of a sudden she's bonding with Frost, and I'm like, did Frost even know her? And it was like, it was like a whole thing, and I was like, I was trying to rack my brain on like, how does she know the rest of these people? And like, they're all just like, oh, you're awesome, like, do your thing, and I'm like, huh? I, w- I was hella confused for a moment as well. I was like, what are they doing with this character? But I do like the character, yeah, and I like the, the development that she's been getting. Yeah, I'm more on, on Brittany's side in this. I, I, you know, I'm I'm a little cold towards Allegra. I, I don't know whether it's uh, the way she's being played or the fact that, you know, they are kind of rushing this along. She's gone from, you know, being the intern, whether paid or unpaid, I don't know, to, you know, full-fledged member of Team Flash. And as you say, she just sort of showed up and, you know, uh, saved Frost's bacon. And then, you know, but as far as I know, she's never met Frost and Frost has never met her. It does seem odd that... Uh, uh, they have this, you know, immediate bonding thing. Uh, I suppose Allegra would probably have met Joe, so she probably would have recognized him, uh, and there would have been that connection. But yeah, it does feel a little fast. But I think you're right, Jeff. I think they're doing this because, uh, you know, uh, they're setting up. You know, the the second half of the season is going to be about the shadowy organization, and because uh, Allegra has that uh, connection to her cousin, uh, who is, uh, you know, one of the metas who's been turned into an assassin. I think they're uh, they're using that to to set up you know, the, the big bad for the second half of the season. Um, let's talk a little bit about the B story, which uh, um, uh, Millie mentioned. Uh, we see Camilla and Cecile trapped by zombies. Uh, I mentioned last episode, I really enjoyed the horror vibe, which is, you know, very unusual 
uh, for The Flash. Um, I thought it was uh, really shot and scored appropriately. So, as I say, it felt different from a standard uh, Flash episode. Indeed, uh, I would argue different from most of your Arrowverse shows. Um, last episode, uh, you know, we had all that stuff happening in Barry's mind. So we could sort of go with the uh, uh, the crazy dream logic of something happening in your mind. Here we had, you know, almost a nod to, well, you know, the zombie movie. Uh, Camilla, you were talking a little bit about this. Uh, what do you think of the Camilla and Cecile scene and the overall horror feel of the subplot? I listen, I'm not the biggest horror fan, but I enjoyed this horror. I guess this is the most I can take. Uh, I really liked it. And I think it was um, interesting to put Cecile and Camilla together because that's not a pairing we usually get. So it's kind of fun to see how they, they work together. Um, the blood zombies or I think just enough terrifying for that. And I also like how we get to see uh, what happens when like Cecile's powers are kind of overwhelmed. And so it's nice to see that Camilla kind of help her talk her through that and be able to turn that into a strength um, rather than just kind of like being bogged down by the fear that she feels around her. Um, And I think that they carry that, not just in that, with that, the storyline, but they're able to carry it throughout all the storylines really well. It kind of kept that, whole tone with the as you mentioned like the film or the scene the direction and the score as well so i think it was great jeff you're much more of a horror fan what did you think of that uh, scene yeah i thought they did a really great job uh like amping up the the tension i thought that was really good because uh, you know horror movies they have you know the we're all supposed to be tense because we're experiencing what the characters are experiencing and i thought they did a excellent job with that the score was good the sense of danger the sense of the threat was looming all over us and uh, it, it was conveyed beautifully the um the choreography sort of like the dance you know of like going up to the door but then moving back moving back and and even the um the audio effect of her powers sort of like activating and sensing the fear around them was really really good and that also uh, worked to like um what's the term ratchet up the tension is that the right term yes it is okay so that worked for me the thing that i found kind of odd in that situation is for as long as camilla has known cecile she didn't really seem to really understand her powers and she was almost like girl it's gonna be okay get over it like get over it like you don't need to be scared and that kind of stuff and i'm like do you not like girl there are vampire zombie deadites out there (laughs) like i'm like camilla do you not really understand how her powers work and like right now she's like basically overdosing on her powers so that was the one thing that gave me pause just because for the amount of time that camilla has been with the team and for like everything that she knows about the team it seemed a little odd that she couldn't really um understand what cecile was going through but removing that from the equation the sequence was really nice uh it was uh they they did a really good job with the horror uh, element um we've seen them uh do horror on some of the other arrowverse shows well let me remove maybe the word some I, i feel like maybe legends is the only one that's done it i don't think arrow has ever done it and i don't think supergirl has ever done it but legends has done it and and uh they've always done a really good job with it. So uh, seeing another Arrowverse show play with horror is really interesting. And especially because we don't typically get like a horror comic book type of um, 
media uh, at all, at least on the big screen or on the small screen. I know that we had that super, um, he was like a super boy that was kind of horror that came out, what was it called, Bright, I think, earlier this year. And uh, we were going to have New Mutants coming out, and that was supposed to have a horror vibe to it, but that one has sort of kind of been shelved. So seeing horror with uh, the comic book superhero element was really neat. Uh, it also gave them, you know, the uh, the director a chance to to do something a little different, you know, basically doing a little bit of a zombie movie uh, in the middle of it. Uh, as Millie mentioned, there was, you know, a an uninterrupted shot that went for about a minute 40. Uh, I timed it where it's, you know, it's just, you know, so carefully choreographed. And, and as you mentioned, Jeff, the fact that they start out in silence uh, and the only sound is that, you know, sound they, they use when uh, uh, Camille's powers... Um, uh, are being used and uh, Cecile's powers are being used, uh, but then gradually in the background, as they're using her power and as you know, it's it's becoming it's you know as it's going off more often, they start slipping the music again. And you know, it's it's a very effective way I found of uh, of ramping up the tension. And again, it's something that you don't often find uh, on the Flash. Uh, so I thought it was uh, it was very effective, and I thought it worked nicely coming out of sort of more of the mental horror uh, that we saw in part one just to, to give the, uh, the overall two-part episode a, a real good uh, creep score. Uh, back at the accelerator, Iris gets the drop on Bloodwork and Barry, uh, which gives Allegra time to blast away, and surprise, it works. Uh, the resulting blast breaks Ramsey's hold on everyone, but Ramsey briefly escapes and becomes a skull-headed blood clot monster. Dear God, what has my life become? To attack Barry. Um, uh, uh, Brittany, what did you think about uh, the, uh, the skull-headed blood clot monster? Uh, and uh, the fight uh, with uh, with Barry. Let's not talk about uh, the Barry's trick that we're going to get in a moment, though. Ah, yes. Um, the weird monster thing. Okay, I have to say, I do appreciate the horror elements that the that the Flash Riders were going for this season and in this uh, episode. Um, when it comes to the horror genre, I like. I think my my taste has changed over the years, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate almost every subgenre in the horror genre. Uh, but here they put in a lot of the monster elements, and I really, really liked it. Um, but I'm not gonna lie, I did not see it coming. So when he, when um, Ramsey was transforming, I was just like. Oh, okay. So this is happening. I did not expect it. It was. It, it kind of left me shook, but I liked it. It was his final form. Um, if you're a video game player, that is something that tends to happen. You're, fight, you're fighting the boss, and you just need to be prepared that there's going to be more than one form. Um, <laughs> and uh, it looked it looked pretty good. It wasn't too bad. I don't think uh, uh, it could have looked any worse than it did, but he looked really slimy. He looked really gross. He looked like a, like a really weird merger of, um, like, like put in the blob in there and put in that I don't remember that guy from uh, the Fantastic Four the rock guy he kind of looks like a, ma- a mess the of that thing. yeah the thing there you go oh my so God. they got the blob and the thing together but no and the it, skull it was just, it yeah. was just a, it was a, a really nice surprise it was really awesome I liked how it's like Barry didn't have much to do in the episode, and now he has to fight this giant monster thing, and it's just like, what the hell do I do now? It was a, it was just crazy. This is like the parts of the Flash that I do like, where I'm like, okay, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm here for the ride, and I enjoy it. So I liked all of that. Um, any of the monster effects were really great. Um, but yeah, way to go, writers, with the weird monster 
thing. I did not expect that. Um, and I don't know if I ever want to see it again. <laughs> it went from the Walking Dead to the Evil Dead. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. They put in some Deadite stuff in there, Evil Dead stuff in there. It was really cool. Um, so it looks like, uh, you know, uh, Barry is going to uh, defeat the big bad by his traditional uh, strategy of running really fast and occasionally punching really fast. But it turns out that while Rosso was inside Barry's head, Barry was inside Rosso's mind. Uh, and he's able to call up an image of his mother, causing Rosso to drop his guard long enough for Barry to imprison him. Uh, Jeff, were you surprised by that and the uh, apparent resolution of the Bloodwork storyline? Yes, big time. Uh, first up, were you satisfied? Well, I'll let you know in a moment. Um, <laughs> first up, I found the editing, because they do this a lot, I know. It's like, you know, they show the fight, and they show the effects, and they, they slow it down. I found, because he was fighting sort of like the CGI being, even though I did think he was kind of gnarly and grody and, and gross all at the same time, it just, it looked, the effect looked a little ridiculous. Like, him, him sort of, like, punching the... um the blob in the gut just it didn't work for me but um okay so was i surprised by how barry did it yes uh the explanation does make sense in a sense because if blood work was able to go into barry's mind and access all his crap uh, it would make sense that barry while uh, experiencing blood work would be able to access um ramsey's memories and figure out his weaknesses and doubt and that sort of thing so it did make sense it was a little too cutesy for me and i know that ideally even though they have killed big pets in the past but you know team flash is of the mindset like you don't kill a character unless there's no other way and then typically it's in self-defense you don't really go in with the murderous intent and that kind of thing but after seeing it, listen it was a it was a beautifully played tender moment i will give both actors props uh you know mother and son they they did it they did a great job with it and i loved uh hearing her uh, in a sense um being really disappointed in in him like you're supposed to save lives and that sort of thing you're not supposed to basically play god is what she was saying and you've turned into a monster so that was all fine and dandy and and nice my whole problem with the situation is, is that ideally, when a character hears something like that, and we've seen this before on other shows, you know, it's supposed to affect them, and it's supposed to change their mind, and they're supposed to regret and repent, and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, crap, you know, I disappointed my mom. Like, what have I become? This is my wake-up call. No, the freaking asshole is still all like, I'm supposed to, my mother told me I'm supposed to save the world, and I have the power. So this would have been probably one of those times when I would have been like, just kill the asshole. Like, shoot him in the head or something. Like, you know, when he's all humanified, and no longer the blob, like, Take him out, because I don't know if they will bring him back. Um, I, I feel like this storyline is done, but he can break free. And, I mean, we already know his MO, exactly what he's going to do. So I don't know if I necessarily want a rehash of this in the future. 
But uh, yeah, this would have been the most appropriate time just to take him out. Like you know, or he let did... himself kill himself because that's what the Flash tends to do anyway. If they're yeah. not gonna, if the team's not gonna kill him, they let like the guy kill himself. But something. I don't know if if um, Ramsey is at all at the point of being suicidal. Like he's got too much of a god complex that. Sure. Um, I mean, you just kind of kind of have to knock him off his pedestal. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't. And so there is, you know, the threat out there. I mean, we know what happens to people in Argus. How many times has frickin' King Shark and Grodd <laughs> broken out? I feel like it happens at least once a season. So, uh, you know, uh, that was the one thing that bugged me. If they would have allowed Ramsey to have developed some or to have achieved some sort of character development to at least realize the error in his ways, because there was that moment and it looked like it was really resonating with him, what his mom was saying. But then just to have him be like, no, like, yeah, I heard what my mom said. But she was just sort of confirming everything that I believe. Like, I'm supposed to save the world. I was like, oh, and they still have him alive. Like, that's just no bueno. Well, we, we sometimes talk about how there's these, uh, these whether it's, it's probably not intentional, it's probably just, you know, a coincidence that, you know, certain themes reiterate across the Arrowverse shows. And what Ramsey's doing, it's exactly what Lena's doing over on Supergirl, yep. which is the super villain oh, refusing mm-hmm. to admit that they're the villain, insisting that I'm the hero. Um, and, and I thought that was interesting. And, and unlike you, I, 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 I don't mind the fact that, you know, he, you know, you know, the, the, the mother thing was just the distraction to lock him up. It didn't, you know, change him. And because if he had changed, if, you know, just the sight of his mom had, had caused him to switch over and go, Oh, you're right. I've been a terrible person. I'll stop doing it again. I wouldn't have bought that because of, you know, how we've seen him develop. Um, I think that would have been too fast a turn. Um, so, uh, so I actually, uh, accepted a little more, uh, Millie and Brittany, what'd you think of, uh, of Barry's trick and the blood work resolution? Well, I'll go first and I'll say that I did not see it coming with like the way Barry played that, but well played Barry using mom against mom, you know, I'm rubber, your glue, whatever you do to me, I'll stick back to you. Um, well played. You could also argue that that, you know, thinking of this as the second part of the two-parter, you know, him being exposed to his mom, you know, in the form of the Speed Force, uh, you know, might have given him the idea. Yeah, exactly. So that's really great. I do think that this part kind or this second half kind of redeems what we saw of Barry in the previous episode, um, sort of. I also think that maybe around this time of the filming of this episode, they might have been doing Crisis, so maybe Grant wasn't available too much, so they didn't... Um... Well, actually, no, he was not, he was in here the entire episode, but uh, I'm not going to lie, there was a really weird, like, heavy breathing thing every time they had a close-up on how evil Barry was doing. Grant is really good at that creepy smirk smile with the goo in it. Oh, God, no. But um, I feel like Barry didn't have a lot to do as far as stand next to Ramsey and just chill there. Um, but well played with the mom card. Um, I still think that they should have done something else with Ramsey unless he's not done for the season. Maybe he might not be there for the rest of like the second half, but he might return. I don't know. Oh, I'm, what if those, I'm what if that, that company acquires him? Yeah, I'm open to them. Like, bringing him back because he's kind of OP 
in the way that he's able to infect people because fear is like it's in all of us in some way shape or form so that makes him pretty op so to have him locked up right now so quickly kind of a big question mark so if they use him bring him out and you utilize him well i'm kind of okay with that um but yeah i think the way they kind of um fixed it up was not too bad I'm kind of glad it was more out of Team Flash that figured it out more than Barry, because Barry was kind of useless, aside from the mom card that he plays. Um, it was mostly Iris with the gun that she was able to get uh, get Ramsey. Um, and, you know, they figured out a way to do stuff. But, yeah, I don't think Barry did too much, aside from playing the mom card. Uh, but that's like a little bit good of revenge after last episode. But, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I, too, was also surprised by that mom card being played. Um, and I, I do think it, it redeems him. Um, I know myself and Jeffrey, uh, uh, I guess, criticized Barry a little harshly last week on that. But I guess if his whole alternative motive was to play this card, um, then he does get a gold star for uh, thinking ahead, thinking a couple steps ahead of Ramsey in that sense. I liked how they used the mom card. I think it was, like, Ramsey's biggest regret. Like, he thinks he's doing everything in the name of her, and so to have her come up and be like, you know, this is not how it is, uh, I think that was really smart. And at this point, you can tell he's just so far gone that he is on his own, like, world and planet that he just thinks that he is doing whatever he thinks. And as it mentions, very Lena-esque, and I think that's, would be cool to see him come back because he still has that mindset and he's probably not going to change even if he's locked up. So it'll be fun to see like him be like one of those villains that kind of drops in, wreaks a little havoc, and goes away and then comes back maybe. But I think in, th- in this sense they like wrapped him up because um, we know we only had eight episodes and I think that his his plan was pretty clear cut. Like, oh, he wants to get as much blood as he can by inducing fear across all of Center City. And I think if they had made him a big bad for the whole season or for more episodes it would have gotten tiresome so i think it was Mm -hmm. um, a good amount of time for ramsey and so i still love him and you have they haven't like made him a character we hate so it will be great to see him pop up occasionally in the future yeah props to the actor i think they they nailed the casting he was very compelling as like an evil overlord i want to take over your bodies type of guy (laughs) yes but wait hold up he was he was great Mm -hmm. hold up you you forgive Barry? Because at the end of this episode, I still have problems with Barry's decisions in the previous episode. No, no, I give him props for like how he turned it around, but I still think he did turn it around. I still think he was very selfish. Yeah, Yeah. he turned it around and made it advantageous to him. But but I don't think it was part of the plan. No, I don't think it was part of the plan either. And my problem, and we're getting into this now because that's the next scene. I hate that it wasn't even really addressed. Like no one talked about. And I know crisis is coming, and there's the countdown clock. I know. It's funny because, (laughs) Professor, what I don't remember what podcast we were doing, but you had made that analogy of like, you know, when when like people say, what is it? The um, oh, it was on, it was on um, I think it was on Batwoman. You know, it's like you know, oh, you have thirty minutes left to live because you got radiation poison, that kind of thing. Like things don't always happen exactly at a specific time. So the fact that like they're all waiting for like the clock to tick down to midnight and then all of a sudden crisis is supposed to start, I thought was a bit 
ridiculous. Although, I mean, that is exactly what happened because we're on a TV show. But I still find that concept kind of crazy. But outside of that, like, they didn't even get the chance to talk about it. Like, what were you thinking? Um, I guess they're all like, kumbaya, we got you back just so that you can die again. But I was like, after all the discussion throughout the episode of like, well, maybe this is what he was setting us up for. You know, Barry's gone and we got to make the tough decisions. And then afterwards, when they actually save him, like they have no, no conversation about what the fuck were you thinking, Barry Allen, with what you just did? And how did you, what were you planning yeah, the thing that kind of struck me about it, because they did have a little debrief in which Barry explained, you know, that he was trying to reach a uh, uh, blood work. Uh, and uh, my thinking was, if I had been there in the room with him, my reaction would have been, oh, yeah, sure, Barry. Sure you did. Yeah, uh, my feeling no was, way in you hell. made the wrong decision and we saved your ass. Exactly, because yeah, there's yeah. no way in hell that he would have known that if he would have fully accepted blood work, that all of a sudden he was also going to ha- get access to Ramsey's memories and that kind of thing. He would have never known that. Like, you, that's something that you figure out when you're already, you know, being used as a vessel for evil. So the fact that they didn't even have any type of back and forth about it, and I know that, you know, we were now in the final, what, three minutes of the episode, but I was like, yeah, that's, damn, yeah. like, they could have given us, you know, a little conversation before the commercial break, you know, before this sequence, where, you know, at least Barry and Iris, she, Iris should have been like, what were you thinking? Or how could yeah, like, you Yeah, like, seriously, that? dude. Yeah. No, I think you're right, and I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is a flaw in that, you know, pitching it so close to uh, to crisis uh you know even with giving it the two-parter you know they still did need some time to uh, to address that and and i think iris should have been the one to go to him and say what did you do why did you do that and uh but it just didn't have time because as you say we are you know three minutes to crisis which means that all the team can do is sort of gather around and you know sing kumbaya uh and as you mentioned uh crisis apparently starts on the dot at midnight for some reason um now i mean there are other time zones does this mean crisis happened at 12 midnight in australia yesterday and no one's heard about it um but uh (laughs) we do get uh, team flash spending a few minutes together um so a couple of questions and i'll just throw this open to the uh, the crowd what do you think of that scene um you know with uh you know everyone sort of weighing in uh you know uh cecile calling back to uh you know what uh, hr said about barry's real superpower um uh joe uh uh frosty um you know everyone basically getting to uh to talk about uh barry having that little moment that little send off before you know presumably he's going to die uh and so that's the first part of the question and secondly what do you think this means for crisis and flash next uh half of the season okay i'll say that i really okay first of all i really like that frost let caitlin be there because it may would have made no sense if frost was there with like all the the talking and the motions because Caitlin is part of the original team. She's always been the one there. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little salty that we haven't gotten a lot of Caitlin, uh, Caitlin this season. And I still don't really know what they're doing with Frost. Um, and like, I, I, I have a lot of questions about that, but either way, I'm glad Caitlin was there. I thought all everything that everyone had to say was really touching. It was really great. Uh, especially what, what Cecile said, I think was really, was really amazing. It was really sweet. 
but I, I, I just, I have to say this because I know Barry's not dying. I don't feel devastated like I do when I'm watching Arrow. Like, given that Arrow is on its last season, and we really, we have an idea that Oliver is going to die, but there's also theories that he's not going to, but he's still going to disappear. There's still an uncertainty of where what happens to Oliver. So I felt more emotional when I'm watching what's going on right now in its final season. Here, all these talks, they, they're beautiful and they make sense. And Barry is full of hope. He's always inspired people, but I just don't feel sad for him. And also, we've had storylines where he disappears already. And we've kind of already dealt with that. So I don't know. I, I just don't feel as connected and sad in that way. I like for the characters I do because it's very final. It's a death. But um, I still, I'm not connected in that way. The, the memories are sweet. Um, I've been with these characters since season one. I get that, but I still don't feel sad because I don't, I one, I don't believe he's dying. And two, if he's vanishing, we know he, he's going to come back and he's vanished already. So I'm really wondering why the writers were trying to make this so final for Crisis, given that the newspaper has always said he was going to vanish. So if that was going to happen, why did they let him vanish at the beginning of season four? You know, I have a lot of those questions because otherwise I don't feel as sad as I should, like the characters are right now. You know what, Brittany? Well, it could be that you're a barely human monster. <laughs> well, then I'm apparently I'm a barely human monster as well because I agree with a lot of what Brittany said. Um, yeah, I will say, well, because you mentioned... I the hell out of that. I'll say oh, that no, right I, I'll co-sign with that. Uh, the Frost thing. Okay, so at the end of the podcast last week, we didn't really in, even discuss the Frost stuff. To be quite honest, we didn't even discuss it this one either. But I mentioned last week that I didn't really understand what they were doing with the Fro- with Frost in that episode. This episode, it made it a little bit more clear for me, and I didn't mind her arc. And I did also like that she allowed Caitlyn to come out. Um, and, and also like that Caitlin, um, you know, gave, um, Frost the time to shine in helping mm-hmm. Joe because he, yeah. he got de-spleened or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> that was an amazing effect because they, they did the blood spurt and I was like, oh, I did not expect that coming. That was very horror movie. Is he going to be in crisis by the way? I don't think so. Joe, pro- maybe that's why they did that in this episode, like to get him out of not being Commission? in crisis. I don't yeah. know. Um, okay. Now, as far as Barry... That is my problem with this storyline. And you hit the nail on the head, Brittany, because they've done him disappearing before and the team has been able to cope. So the whole storyline, and I know I've complained about it uh, a couple of episodes, the idea that he has to prepare the team for his quote unquote death just never made sense to me. If they would have done a different sort of storyline where we see the characters, maybe because they feel like this is the final moment, it, the final, the finality of it all, where they're grieving openly like and reacting in that sort of way, I would have preferred to have seen that than the whole... I would say stupidity of like Barry needing to like prepare everyone for his dis- for his death uh, when uh, like he's disappeared before, and we also have to remember that it says Flash vanishes, so so and it always has said that with Crisis. So the fact that like he feels like no one is prepared for that, I always thought was very weird as well, and I am also enrolled in the school of Barry isn't dying. So like all of this setup 
as emotional as things may be on another Arrowverse show, like, I don't really feel any of the emotions because I'm pretty much 100% sure that Barry Allen is not going to die. And if he does die, it's not going to stick. Yeah. So, um, and I don't, even if he vanishes, like, I know he's going to be back. Like, so I don't feel the sense of urgency that, oh my gosh, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. Is Barry Allen going to die? Like, I don't feel that at all. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't. I think if it's not Barry, if it was someone else on the team, I think oh, I yeah. feel if it was Joe more... or like yeah. when Iris, when like the whole Iris thing, yeah, I, I was, was worried, worried for Iris. Her. I'm not yeah. worried for Barry Allen at all. Yeah. Uh, Millie, do you want to be a barely human monster before I explain <laughs> why these two barely human monsters are wrong? I do want to be a barely human monster because <laughs> I totally agree with uh, Brittany and Jeffrey. I thought what was interesting was. Um, Comparing it to, of course, uh, Arrow, because we also got a lot of farewells on that. The way that they, the goodbyes were on the Flash, I felt like it was less of a goodbye and more just kind of a like, oh, you remember that time in season one, you know, when we first started out? More kind of like oh friends just yeah. commemorating. Not Although I like, do think you helped me do this journey. I'm closing the chapter with you. This is my closure. And I think yeah. that's why there's not a lot of emotional weight because it, it was more just like, oh, they're just kicking back a beer and talking. Although that's I will how say, I interpret it. can I put this on the record? I do think Cecile referencing what HR said will be important because yeah. it's, you know, that his superpower isn't uh, his super speed. It's hope. And if there's anything that Barry has been throughout this first half of the season is hopeless. Like he has accepted the fact that things are going to happen and that he will no longer be there and that sort of thing. And so Cecile reminding Barry, maybe that his greatest superpower is hope, I think will come into effect uh, during crisis. So I do think, you know, as kind of schmaltzy as that moment was, uh, just everyone sort of being like, oh, you know, oh, you don't keep your watch. Like, you're going to need it and, and that whole thing. Um, I do think what Cecile said, quoting HR, will be important. Didn't you argue last week that the prime virtue of a superhero is their willingness to die? Well, yes, but remember that big discussion we had last week, where I was arguing that the point of a superhero is that they keep fighting and they have hope, and you were arguing, no, that was Barry's failing last episode. No, correct. But then you reminded me, you used my words against me when you reminded me that you can change the future, and so now I'm back on that train. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard Millie gasp in the background when she realized I'd brought that back against her. (laughs) I know you've used my words against me two weeks in a row, but it's fine. I use okay, so, the words to my uh, advantage. And now explaining why the, the barely human monsters are wrong. You have to remember they're writing for the characters who are speaking. We all know that the show is called The Flash. They do not know they are characters on a TV show called The Flash. And as far as the, the issue of, you know, uh, they know he was going to disappear and everything like that. Remember, when the monitor showed up, he said, you're going to die. Okay, it wasn't disappearing. It was, you're going to die. And then Barry went into the future and saw all those futures and realized, oh, the only way in which I save the world is if I die. So that is what is different this time, is that Barry knows he has to die, at least according to uh, to this version that the Monitor has shown them. 
So as far as when we're looking at them, you know, and not being able to to muster up the emotion, uh, because we know that, you know, in some form or another, uh, Barry will be back. I mean, unless they change the show of, uh, you know, uh, you know, after Flash, uh, the in, Kid uh, Flash in, in January or something like that, um, then we know he's come back. But the characters don't know that. And you have to write for the characters to act as they would act in that moment. So in that sense, you know, even though we have that sort of postmodern knowledge of the fact, well, you're not actually going to kill the character. Um, you know, you have to suspend that disbelief in order to to buy into it. And if you can buy the idea of a guy running around really fast or a guy turning into a, uh, a blood-caught monster with a skull, I think you can buy that. You barely human monsters. Um, Why was Allegra there? Okay, so... Uh, before we uh, finish up, there was, uh, you know, a, a, a post-show uh, scene, which many of us found uh, familiar because they've run it after – did they run it after all the shows? Did they run it after Black Lightning? Not Black Lightning because – I didn't think it, they did Black Lightning. It looks they like they're having after, their own uh, crisis Batwoman thing. Batwoman and Supergirl. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, basically – and, and uh, did they run it after Arrow as well? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. That's yes. right. Yeah, because I thought it was odd because, you know, the order of the shows made that seem a little weird. Uh, but basically it shows uh, Nash Wells, uh, you know, in the tunnels. Uh, he's uh, has apparently, uh, you know, accepted that the monitor is not the bad guy that he thought he was. Um, you know, he's given some glimpse uh, that allows him to uh, decipher the glyphs in front of him. Uh, then, you know, a portal opens up a blinding light swallows him up and he's sucked away uh and i have to admit i i don't i don't feel proud about this but okay after seeing it on batwoman and supergirl i thought to myself well maybe they'll give us something extra on the flash and so i actually watched the end again they they got they suckered me in three times in a row to watch exactly the same scene uh but let's talk about that that is obviously our setting up for the crisis that is coming we got you know the uh uh at the end of the episode the skies turn red so crisis is here um, uh, Nash has been taken away, uh, again, because, you know, we do pay attention to spoilers. We know he's going to become pariah. Uh, but, uh, what do you guys think of that, uh, uh, that little scene, uh, setting up, uh, crisis? Well, he's definitely talking to the anti-monitor, right? Yes. The- well, here's the thing. So, because there was a whole story that, that we didn't discuss, Professor, because he was like, he was... He was very pissed. When I saw the scene... That wasn't a storyline. That was Nash fighting zombies. Well, yeah, no, but there was the conversation where there was a little bit of dialogue that where he was talking to the door, basically. And when we initially saw this scene at the end of Batwoman, and he was like, I accept you. And I was like, how the hell did Nash get there? Because everything that led up to that, to, to what we have seen of Nash, he, he seemed like he wanted to get in and uh, he seemed angry. Um, so then we got a little bit of that in the actual storyline where he's like talking about like, you know, I'm coming for you. I'm going to, I'm going to get you and all this kind of stuff. And then there was the zombie thing, but then, um, uh, what was it? Um, the voice kept on saying, you have to kneel or submit or that kind of stuff and then all the answers and Nash wasn't willing to do that but then Nash does not know this but the the wave of Allegra ends up coming upon him and it it neutralizes the zombies and so he feels that this person helped him and so then like that final scene now makes sense like you saved my life you spared me and you helped me out in my time of need. I am willing to submit. And so that scene now makes more sense to me. Now, there are theories online. 
and uh, Brittany has already said it, some people think that it's the anti-monitor and that Nash has, um, let's say, broken him free from his prison, which apparently is under, under, under Central City for some reason. Um, but yes, there are rumors or at least theories online that people think that it's the anti-monitor that he was really fucking with and that it's not the monitor. Um... I don't know, uh, the those weird hieroglyphs on the door, one looked like an arrow, one looked like maybe it was the either um, the flash mask or the atom, or I don't know. There are the seven paragons, and are those the seven? Are those people that we know? I don't know. Um, I don't like the idea that it's the anti-monitor, just because... I think Pariah is supposed to be on the side of good, unless he's going to become like a double agent or something. So uh, that worries me if he really is like accidentally working with the anti-monitor. But um, it was very um, cinematic and kind of epic, you know, the whole scene. I got some like like BDSM vibes there. Like there was what? some dumbness from the from the anti monitor. Oh like submit, and he's like and he and then like Fifty Shades <laughs> of Nash. And Nash was just being a brat. He was like, nah, I'm not gonna submit to you but then he does and he becomes fully submissive and I'm like, damn, anti monitor, teach everyone your ways. No, I'm just kidding. But um what that is was a going cool on, the fact that I've been watching all the shows and I watch them in order, like, this made the most sense with, like, the Flash episode, so I kind of wish I didn't see the ending um, in the other shows. I wish it, they would have given us something different for those, but I liked it in here. It made sense. I agree with what uh, Jeff was saying about how, you know, he thinks he spared him, so he submit to him. Um, I mean, Nash could be... This is the way he could get his powers in, in becoming Pariah, and then he'll go with the actual monitor that's on the good side i don't know but it just seemed to me that the monitor doesn't ask for people to submit you know he's he kind he could be a dick he can kind of test you and stuff but i don't think he's the way that the voice was being portrayed i don't think that's the good monitor it has to be the anti in my opinion i think or it could be another test i don't know but i still think it's the uh, i'm gonna stick with the anti uh, the anti-monitor and i'm excited to see what role he plays in the crisis of Pariah, I mean. And Millie, what did you think about that closing scene? I thought that, um, I, I'm not, I don't think it was the anti-monitor. I think uh, it's the Nash Wells being sucked in to become the Pariah and whatever that is. And from my understanding, he is good and he does like the monitor's bidding. So I feel like that was the setup there. Uh, it would be interesting if he was the anti-monitor, but I feel like at this point it's there's too many questions around who the anti-monitor is and really, like, well, you know, everyone's like, maybe it was the anti-monitor that told Barry he's going to die. Maybe it's the anti-monitor that showed up with Oliver. So I feel like that's kind of just a theory that gets getting thrown at any time we see the monitor. And I was going, I don't know if it's plausible he can be everywhere at once. Well, he could be. But um, so I think that it would make the most sense that it's him becoming the next step of what Nashville is supposed to be. The Anti-Monitor is on a distant planet on his farm, and he's waiting for Crisis to come. (laughs) Then he'll put on his little gauntlet and, you know, snap people away and that kind of stuff. Uh, Before we move on to the MVP, there was one other question I wanted to ask. So we've known for about a year uh, that Crisis was coming, 
I know that was the big uh, surprise at the end of the crossover last year, and we we're all speculating, oh, what will this mean? Uh, you know, how will it be handled and everything like that? Uh, obviously, it was set up uh, at the end of, uh, of last season on Arrow and uh, at the beginning of this season. Um, we've talked on the other shows that, you know, some of us wanted more references to Crisis on the other shows. It seems to have been carried mainly by Arrow uh, and, and Flash. So let's just talk about Flash. How do you feel about how Flash has prepared us for Crisis? They've spent, you know, a big chunk of their first half of the season. Uh, um, you know, uh, all the time that wasn't being spent on uh, on blood work was basically being spent on preparing the team, preparing Barry, preparing us for crisis. Uh, looking back over the past uh, half season, how do you feel about how they've done that? I okay. personally still don't like the fact that they changed uh, Barry's fate to death. I think the vanishing should have been kept there because that would have kept in tone with uh with like the flash as a whole because it's usually okay, something bad is coming but we can change the future or if you are going to vanish, we'll find a way to get back to you. That's kind of like what they did on Arrow with um knowing, well us knowing and now uh, Oliver knowing in, in the in the finale of, of season seven that he was going to die. But for Felicity, she tells him, you know, I will always find you. Like, despite the fact that he's leaving, there is still some hope for Felicity to find him or be reunited with him in some way, shape, or form. I wanted that to be applied to the Flash this season with the vanishing because I think since they've survived that before, I kind of wanted that to be there. And then maybe during crisis, they could have, you know, surprised us with something else uh, with, with Barry's actual death um, or something to the like, like if not keep with the, with the vanishing thing and then try to get him back all of the second half of the season or, you know, play around with that. If they've been building up to this, they could have done this in a more creative way because the fact that they have both Oliver and Barry essentially dying, I don't know if I really like that. Or they could have put the death on somebody else. I think that would have worked well because as we were saying, when they had Iris being uh, the one to die in season three, it was very up in the air. While people were like, oh, no, she's comic canon. She needs to be with Barry. They did a really fantastic season uh, or penultimate episode with her death. So I think they could have played that card a little bit better for this season. But aside from that, everyone preparing for it, I think, has been done really, really well. Um, everyone's struggling with somebody that they're losing, which is, of course, Barry. And I really liked... Uh, how everyone else had their had, had their way of dealing with it. Some people were angry. Some people were in denial. Um, some people were, you know, just really sad. Like, it, I, I do like how they played that, though. So that's, like, what I have to say about that. I wish we had gotten a little bit more. Like, I, I wish that they would have dealt with Crisis a little bit more outside of the fact that Barry is, quote-unquote, dying. Um, maybe I'm spoiled, because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they have the line, you know, it's all connected. And I I just wish that we would have had, not just on The Flash, but also on Supergirl, uh, maybe a little bit on Batwoman, just I the agree. idea that. that Crisis is coming and Crisis is looming. And I know that Super Batwoman is doing its own thing because it's, it's almost like a brand prequel. New. It is brand new. But they introduced, what was his name, Psycho Pirate in Elseworlds, and he was in Arkham, and like he never even showed up on Batwoman at all. And I feel like yeah, that was a I bit agree. of a missed opportunity. 
Um, what I think they're going to do, and um, I hope that this is what they do, uh, I feel like they're treating Crisis almost as its own thing in a sense, and they're treating it, at least I hope that what they're going to be doing is that they're going to treat it like a five-hour movie, and maybe what they're going to do is in the first episode and a half, they'll do the setup, they'll, because I still hate that no one on the Flash knows that Earth 2 has been vaporized, so I feel like they have to do a lot of the setup for Crisis, yeah. that very first, maybe first and a half episode of the Crisis event, so that everyone understands what the threat is, what's really going on. All of the characters kind of get clued into the multiverse and um, the fact that it, it's it's crumbling. They need to do that. I wish, you know, ideally, I would have loved to have seen them do that throughout um, the season on all of the shows. But my thinking is, is that the showrunners are like, well, what if, you know, what if someone isn't going to check out Batwoman at all? What if they don't watch The Flash anymore? What if, you know, they're not watching Supergirl, but they will tune in for something that's billed as Crisis? So they'll do all of the setup, that first episode-ish, and then we'll get into sort of the action, we'll get a, a cliffhanger, and then we'll get the resolution over the course of one night in January. Um, as much as I don't like that line of thinking because it's it's you know it's it's them not trusting that the audience is watching all of the shows, but for those those of us that are watching all of them and podcasting about them, I think the setup over all of the shows should have been a little bit more. And especially since what you said, Professor, we've known about this for a year, so um, so the setup was just a tiny bit lacking for me. Although some shows did do it a little bit better. I'm looking at you, Arrow, and a teeny tiny bit on The Flash. I agree with uh, Jeffrey in the sense that I think that they could have done a lot more setup. I mean, you've known about this. You have one show already dedicated, you know, seven episodes. You could have dedicated a lot more Flash and really do a great setup. And then just five hours of all your comic book action stuff it would have been jam-packed. And you could have had this feature film that, you know could rival what they put in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that was like three hours. You got five hours and you could get even more. But I think the big thing on, on The Flash is we say it, it focused around crisis, but I really think it more so focused on the aftermath of crisis, you know, Barry's death. And so in that sense, it doesn't really talk or set up crisis anyways. It's more just how are we going to deal in this post-Flash world, I think, is really what the whole arc was for the first eight episodes is what what is you know Ralph? We got to get him ready. Got to get Cisco become a leader. And then um, we and we talked about in the past podcasts. We still never really got that conversation between Barry and Iris. And yeah, Iris, it, it, her husband's off to die, and she's still like, okay, I believe in you. I'll follow you. But I feel like the, your natural reaction would be a lot more than that. And we kind of tossed around the idea that maybe it'll happen in crisis, but there's so much going on and so many characters that they have to weave in that it, I think it's going to get lost and it would have had more of a gravitas and really emotional impact if they had put it on the first eight episodes. Um, and I thought that's what this episode would have been was that blow up that we were wanting from Iris also because like Candace Patton is amazing and she would do great with that kind of material. So I feel like she's been underutilized in that sense. And I'm like, why, is yeah Barry's wife is kind of sidelined throughout the first eight episodes so I thought that was a little interesting in that whole setup especially because I think that I remember reading one of the descriptions she does she is mentioned in one of the descriptions in crisis she'll have some kind of part 
So I think that was it was curious that they didn't give more to that because you know they're always like they're like a couple. They come as a pair. Yeah, and it still bugs me that Barry didn't even consider her to be the leader. I mean, she okay. led the freaking team <laughs> that, when he had disappeared. That, but he also choked her in this episode, and I, we didn't get an apology. Oh, yeah, he just um, took her yeah. out, yeah. Yes. With but those we'll nasty, say, grody I, nails. Yeah, I was saying that I was rooting for the writers this season because it has been pretty solid, even with the minor gripes that I have. But I, ha- I was saying, okay, we're getting all these scenes with these characters dealing with Barry dying. We're going to wait for Iris's moment. So I'm still holding out that it's in crisis because they are making a big deal that he's going to die. And when that happens, we need the Iris thing. But... We needed another conversation in this episode that wasn't with the entire group. We needed one with Iris, and there's nothing wrong with Iris being sad or, you know, being worried in that moment with him. And then when they had the talk with everybody, she could be really strong there and say the same things that she said with the group there. But I still think they needed a husband and wife um, moment. Like Oliver and Felicity had one in the season finale of Arrow last season. Um, they needed something like that. And if we're getting in crisis, I'll take it back. But if we're not, we needed that. I, I was waiting for Iris's moment. I'm not saying she can't always be strong, but she can be sad and worried and afraid, but she can also be strong. And we could have gotten those two moments, but the writers didn't want to give it to us. And I'm kind of sad about that. It's a disservice to West Allen fans, in my opinion. Okay, before we move on to the MVP section, was there anything else from this episode that anyone wanted to mention? Okay, state which character impressed you the most throughout the episode and why. Once a character's been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Brittany, let's start with you, you barely human monster. Oh my gosh, yes. You know what, I embrace it at this point. Just uh, I submit. Oh my god. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Central City. What the hell? You know what, I'm just thinking about your whole BDSM thing and and, and how I feel you should be... I was going to say you should be punished for that, and I realized, well, that's entirely the wrong thing to say. I know. <laughs> I just go ahead. Make She's freaking, what's her name, Anastasia? Oh, oh. Uh, Anastasia oh. Steele, Lord. It's sad that I even know that. Anyways, my MVP is going to go to the lovely Cecile. I actually really enjoyed her, her, her plot in this episode, although Camilla could have been a little bit nicer. Um, I do like their pairing. And I'm glad that Cecile was able to um, use her power in a different way that we haven't, like, really seen before. And I'm glad that they're utilizing her. You know, they're not just forgetting that Cecile exists and that she has these uh, these powers. And I liked uh, mostly what she said to Barry at the end of the episode. I mean, despite me saying, oh, I don't care because I know he's not dying, I think that was a very beautiful moment um, and beautiful words. They, they came out of her and it just shows a lot about Cecile like even though she's a new character she's observed she's observed the the group and she's a part of it now so she gets it and I really enjoyed that so Cecile for me uh, okay uh, Millie who is your MVP and why I have to give it to Cisco I feel like I know there's some decisions, but I, I like him as a team leader. I think we really get to see him, uh, see how he operates. And I feel like we haven't got a lot of him this season. So it's nice to see him um, be useful without his powers. Um, and it, it was kind of fun to watch him butt heads. Cause I think we forget that Cisco has been there from the beginning, like on team flash. And since Caitlin's been AWOL, uh, Cisco has, has been throughout. Um, so it's nice that we kind of get that one thread throughout of it, through, through it all um, as we approach the crisis. Jeff, who is your MVP and why? 
Brittany, I can't with you and bringing the BDSM and, and even homoeroticism to the monitor <laughs> slash anti-monitor and Nash scene at the end. I'll never be able to see that scene ever in the same way ever again. Um, good Lord. Okay, so my MVP is Iris West Allen. I, I just, Candace Patton, we always talk about Candace Patton being fantastic. I thought she really brought it in this episode. I, I love the line, in sickness and in health. Um, yeah. You know, she was there for her man. I feel like a lot of um, the, the the wives or the, the spouses in the super couples probably would have done the same thing that Iris would have done, um, you know, to their to help their um, their mate. And uh, yeah, I, I just I loved what Candace Patton did in, in those moments. Uh, I liked her interplay with Cisco because she was pretty much paired up with Cisco throughout the entire episode. And um, yeah, I, I just, I loved everything Iris West Allen in this episode. Although I do feel like she did deserve a moment with her husband uh, to either uh, basically be like, what the hell? Or to um, fully, um, oh, what would be the right term? Um unload i guess on barry for like you know how she's feeling about his quote-unquote upcoming quote-unquote death that kind of thing uh but everything you know what we saw with iris was really good so she's my mvp uh i'm going to choose uh, a blood work uh you know uh nice. not e- exclusively for this episode but i think it's just been a really good villain you know an interesting nuanced villain uh you know we saw his descent uh, you know, he wasn't presented to us as uh, as a villain from the get-go. Uh, we can understand what he was doing, why he was doing it. And I just think the actor who was playing him, A, had a tremendous charisma, but I also got sense he was enjoying himself. And I really do enjoy, you know, watching when the villains are having fun. Speaking of which, Aminet Black will be back in the second half of the season. Woo-hoo. So something to look forward to there. Um, so how would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed, uh, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Uh, Millie, let's start with you. What is your rating of this episode? Overall, I had to give it an 8.5 lightning bolts. I think that it was solid turn for mid-season finale, but kind of what we discussed, I think there was... There's some things that fizzled out, especially with, uh, you know, the closure on some things, um, especially with, with regards to, like, Iris. And then there's some questions about the whole Killer Frost, Caitlin storyline. Um, but overall, I love how they have wrapped up Bloodwork as a villain. And I think that was a nice uh, short arc that really worked and puts us ready for the next half of the season. Brittany, how would you rate this episode? I am going to have to agree with Miss Millie. I'm also giving it an 8.5. I doubt it was a solid season finale. I really enjoyed blood work, and if this is how he ends, not too bad as a big blob monster, or what was it, the blob and the thing put together. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of the, the little moments and the pair-ups in this episode. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty good. 8.5 for me. Jeff, how would you rate this episode? Professor, did uh, Katie slide into your DMs to let you know she was coming back? Because you are her biggest fan. Uh, no, fam. I actually, uh, she did uh, send out something uh, on social media. 
uh, with a, uh, you know, it was just, I think, an image of the uh, the Flash script that she's going to be in. So that's oh, okay. Because I know you love, you're like her biggest fan. You loved I'm her? I'm a big Katie Sackhoff fan. You liked her, but you also liked, what was her name? The the um, Canadian VJ or DJ that she she got taken over by the... Oh, uh, yeah, Sugar. Sugar. Um, yeah. I can't remember her last name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was, uh, yeah, the, the Misfortune character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was good, too. Okay. Oh, awesome. So, all right. Uh, I am going to co-sign. I'll give it an eight and a half as well. Uh, eight and a half is not a bad number, but I did have some problems with the episode, and uh, which I've sort of discussed at length over the podcast. But for the most part, the good stuff was good. There were just some glaring issues with the episode that really sort of prevent it from uh, going any higher. But if you really think about it, eight and a half is not that bad. Uh, well, I'd come into this planning to give it an 8.5 myself, but because I don't <laughs> want to be associated with the barely human monsters, I'm going to give it an 8.6. Join us next time for a brand new installment of The Central City Citizen. And don't forget, by the way, a uh, little uh, tease here. Uh, next episode will be the third episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which means that this will be the big cliffhanger before the month-long break until the crisis is resolved. So tune in for that. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thecentralcitycitizen. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, Nelser. Co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Millie? Have a good night, Central City. If you want to chat with me on Twitter, I'm there as at the Asian Nerd. Brittany? Let's keep it clean, Brittany. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, all right, guys. You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Damon's Lover. That's D-A-M-O-N-S-L-O-V-E-R-R. And Jeff. That was about as clean as you can get from Brittany. Damon's Lover. Good grief. Uh, you can find me all over social media. Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Poppy Chulo Radio. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Central City Citizen every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night, and a crisis is a-coming.